0: Welcome, everybody, to Wheeler, the podcast, the podcast of me, Wheeler, the podcast engineer of podcasts. That, that works. I'm here today with Wedge of the Discord, of the, of the me, of the of Discord. The, just one of those
1: randos who kind of blew in with the wind.
0: <laughs> I, this is not the topic, but you... you, you of the members of Discord, there's a lot of that kind of just popped in randomly from following people. I think you were the, one of the few that got, like, invited randomly by somebody that joined randomly.
1: Yeah, I'm a little down on the daisy chain.
0: Yeah, but uh, today, you're here. We are here together to talk about wrestling. We're here to talk about Sports entertainment. <laughs> I can't say uh, wrestling here. Uh, hmm.
1: I I uh, feel like I feel like I I need to 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 just utter the chestnut of oh I'd like to thank you for having me
0: you know yeah thank, thank you well you of are one of the few many of one of the wrestling fans in the Discord along with me and a few others. One of the more active ones than most in here.
1: I I feel like I've gotten to the point where my knowledge of wrestling is half (laughs) by accident. And then the other half is just sort of, it's not even osmosis at this point. It's more like just being bombarded by radiation.
0: Yeah. Okay. You're being overexposed.
1: It's, it's, It's my own fault because, you know, I got into uh, certain YouTube channels that kind of recap and, you know, talk about wrestling news and different things like that. And it's been my replacement for watching the shows for for a lot of the time, because wrestling is kind of the only thing I really have in common left with my dad. Mm -hmm. And honestly, if I was not talking with my dad, I would probably not watch or have anything to do with WWE like I would be entirely keeping track of it through reviews on certain YouTube channels and that's probably all I'd know about it because yeah. I'm I'm in the the space at the moment where it feels very it it just doesn't feel good to support WWE and it kind yeah. of never has if you know <laughs> anything about Vince McMahon but now it's feeling it's worse. It it just, it's piled up more and more and more ever since the Saudi shows, it was already like, Oh God, here we go. This is great. And then everything involving this. And I basically, and I I end up having to ask two questions about how this sort of works before I let myself go too much into a lot of my, my just random thoughts, because boy, do I not think (laughs) linearly? Question number
0: one.
1: Uh, question I, number one is, how much am I allowed to swear? You are allowed to swear as much as you need to. All right. Because question one basically is, can I say fuck? Yeah. And then question number two is, how political
0: am I allowed to get? I, you're allowed to get as political as you want to. But like, I feel like we need to step into the dressing topic gent- gently. <laughs> That's that's the weird part Because, you
1: know, it's like Question one is, can I say fuck? Question two is, can I say fuck Trump? Because wrestling is just this weird place right now Where everything is political Everything has politics embedded in it And usually the way people see things as political Is, you know, the, the inherent blind spots of You know, things are less political The more you're used to it or agree with it And things like that But... Mm. Wrestling's always been a little more political than a lot of TV. And then the last six months decided, you, you can't keep track of goddamn anything in wrestling without being aware of everything happening in the world because so much of what's happened with the pandemic and how it's affected wrestling ties into all of the minutia and weirdness involving how this has all been handled.
0: Yeah. Uh I I guess we can start at <laughs> uh actually like this is a have a good like conversation starting point at uh what is your earliest memory of wrestling? Um
1: I I think I've always had a little bit of like vague awareness of wrestling but I never watched it or anything like that because at the time my dad actually really didn't like wrestling. He kind of checked out I want to say somewhere in the attitude era when, you know, the content started to get raunchier and things like that and that was a turnoff for him because especially back then my dad was kind of staunch Christian and yeah. you know, checked out around that time but he ended up getting back in um and this is how I ended up just sort of getting into it uh, around, oh I want to say like 2006, 2007, he started mm-hmm. watching like VHS collections of undertaker matches because undertaker was one of his cornerstones in,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, yeah. watching wrestling and enjoying wrestling. And that ended up also being my entry point. Then all of, you know, the, the, the streak, the hell in a cell match with McFoley. Foley the Undertaker is levitating in Providence, Rhode Island. <laughs> that stuff. Yeah. That, that was, and, and it's funny as well, seeing, you know, these collections that are the career up to that point of the Undertaker and seeing all of these different eras and how wildly it changed and how utterly batshit it could be. Cause yeah. after that, it was getting into uh, stuff like the, the TLC matches the Royal Rumbles, you know, the 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 really marquee stuff that ends up kind of being really attention-grabbing and all of that. And that's kind of been the, the real tether for me to a lot of wrestling is, you know, that sort of stuff because I don't have a lot of, you know, I don't have a lot of generational memory or, or, or things going back to a lot of that. So for me, my wrestling foundation is a combination of these best of collections of these eras especially you know stuff in the Attitude Era and a little bit before and after that and going to wrestling shows with my dad because me and my sister he would take us to Raw or Smackdown if they came around and then we ended up going to a couple WrestleManias I went to Wrestlemania 24 and 25 and you know it's, it's the kind of thing that I got into for kind of weirder reasons than my dad. Because, you know, I'm a writer. I have, I've absorbed so many different kinds of media. And the, the spectacle of wrestling combined with the performance art aspect of it and the strange relationship it has with the fourth wall via Kfabe. Was just all really interesting to me because it's one of these things that I I, I put in my head under the term synthesis because mm-hmm. it's a it's such an amalgamation of so many different kinds of media and you don't see that in a lot of things and it funny enough like the the closest analog of that for me is video games yeah. because games are such a strange hodgepodge of medium where lots of it can be prose especially older ones that were text-based or rpgs before voice acting others are heavily cinematic especially once you get to you know the current era with how photorealistic things go or you know the influence of people like hideo kojima who is a Mm. massive cinephile and outside of jrpgs basically created the 20-minute cutscene.
0: yeah i, I just think your whole entry into wrestling fandoms is interesting because i like you my i was kind of introduced through like family like my grandparents always watch wrestling watch it basically every week every show and i also did and like I said it before, but, like, I think my first actual memory of wrestling, like, the earliest I have, is the Headbangers. Oh, wow. I, like, I don't know when. I It may be even been like, the video games or something, but, like, that's, like, the earliest I have, like, solid in my mind. hmm But, like, like I said, like, watched every show, like, from... <laughs> As far back as I can remember to until maybe 26, 15, 16. I've, like every week when I could, I I was watching Raw. I was watching SmackDown. I was watching Impact when it was on actual TV. <laughs> oh, man, Impact. Uh, oh,
1: like
0: I I, was, I, was, I saw everything.
1: I saw, I can't remember which one it was but it was the pay-per-view, it was the one with the the Kurt Angle Joe match, Lockdown, duh, it was yeah. in the cage. That Lockdown. I think that was like the only TNA pay-per-view that my dad ended up actually getting. And that was like he, he you know, he was trying to kind of get into TNA at the time because WWE was just not great at the time. And and uh, it was different yeah. from the issues that he had before of it being too, you know, raunchy and things like that because I remember him trying to you know kind of get back into it and in you know we ended up just sort of watching wrestling just because it was on because he was starting to get back into the the weekly shows and yeah i remember tna like right when it was kind of in its really good swing right in that period and then the nosedive
0: yeah uh that I think that was c 08 that's about when they started bringing in a lot of newer talent and not really pushing them, but bringing them in still. Like that was the peak of the whole ECW new talent stuff.
1: Uh, Oh man. I remember WWE CW. I think, I think we started watching around the time that that aired and I, Definitely, no, we were watching at the time that that ended and NXT, the original NXT, came around. Yeah. And it's it's kind of a blast for me having come into wrestling at the exact moment I did because I've seen so many miniature eras in time yeah. That of WWE, CW, the original NXT, TNA's really like one of its really high points and then watching that fall off a cliff. We, and because, you know, we live in the Tampa area, we've seen, Hmm. uh, you know, some of the like NXT house shows when they come around here. But even before that we went to FCW because FCW was in Tampa and some of, you know, the original show was airing on um, bright house sports. So it was a very, you know, local ish, uh like fucking channel 800 or whatever it is <laughs> kind of thing but you know we saw a lot of the people who are major talent now when they were in proto NXT hmm. and my sister has a, a pair of jeans that she would wear anytime we went to uh, FCW and you know would Get autographs from anybody that she could while they were there. And one of the ones that I know she has was Seamus mm-hmm. before he hit the main roster. And it's just amazing to sort of see some of that. I and I I love the NXT crowd, the full sale crowd, because it's a larger scale version of the full sale crowd. And there was just something about that crowd and little you know little little running gags and different things. You know, there were uh different uh just things that would come up during matches where oh geez, I cannot remember who the two were. I want to say one was Ryback, but there the, Oh,
0: I I know what you're talking about. The Corbin and uh a, a, but you, you continue because I think maybe think of something different. Oh man. It I can't remember
1: who it was, but I don't think he's I I, I th- you know think he was let go of the company, you know, friggin' decade ago almost at this point. But I just remember because of the way that they looked, the you know, the dun, 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 that chant going back and forth between the two guys, it wasn't their names, it was Terminator Wolverine going back and forth because that's what they looked like, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure Terminator was, was Ryback right because he, he had a very specific look at one point in FCW. I'll probably find out who Wolverine was in two hours and just be
0: like, dang it! But uh, uh, v- mm-hmm. uh what, was, what I was thinking of was the Corbin uh, Bull Dempsey thing <laughs> where oh. the crowd would. Count along, count how long it took for them to beat whatever, whoever job their job they were up against. Oh, wow. That's great. And it was like a little, it wasn't like a weird, a weird little competition almost, but yeah, mm. little crowd things. Yeah.
1: It, it was just such a, a great crowd that added a lot to. You know, just just the the space, because, you know, you only have at most 100 people a lot of the time in FCW, you know, watching these matches. But they, you know, that that crowd was kind of the first real hint of indie wrestling that I ended up really getting. And it's it's a mixed bag because, like, I I don't like going to the NXT shows around here when they come around the NXT house shows, not because I don't yeah. like any of the talent or anything, but the, at least twice when NXT was somewhere in the like Pinellas County, Tampa Bay area, there was like a news story because some of the crowd was being pretty racist. Yeah. And that I was at one of the shows that that happened and they were giving, it was, I think it was like Carmella and Nia Jax in a match and the chance for that were bad. And then the chance at Asuka were bad, which was a recurring theme. And that just made me very uncomfortable. And I'm just like,
0: no Yeah. Uh, the crowds are like, I think just the, the Florida indie crowd that in general is kind of infamous for being bad. Like, there's a few, like, maybe stand out good, but, like, the crowd in general are are notably bad in in that area. Yeah, this area
1: does not have some good crowds when it comes to NXT coming around and really kind of anything small where the assholes can definitely be heard. (laughs) Because, you know, they're going to get drowned out when friggin' Monday Night Raw is at Raymond James or whatever. But... You know when you have the the really small shows that NXT will do or
0: things like that. Oh, it gets out of hand real quick. Uh, guess next, we can talk about what's happening now in wrestling. I guess uh, I, we already mentioned the pandemic, the current situation, as WWE likes to say. The <laughs> yeah,
1: the the yeah the. The ongoing situation. The hashtag these difficult times.
0: <laughs> Uncertain <sighs> times. Yes. The I can don't really want to talk too much about the fact that there aren't crowds because it's at this point it's you have to, it's just a thing now. It's not like Yeah. Can't say it, much other than it makes everything weird and bad. Yeah, AEW has,
1: you know, kind of struck on a really good idea of at least having some of them in, you know, the crowd and reacting and things like that, because it it really does help. It, it kind of brings attention to the fact that the crowd is basically not there, but you don't need anything in particular to bring that to people's attention a lot of the time, and... Nothing highlights the lack of a crowd more than just everything WWE does. Everything ever. Yeah. (laughs) Because they have not adjusted their style one iota to the lack of a crowd, save for the cinematic matches that they've done. And as much as I want them to lean more into doing that, I don't because I know they don't have enough people with good ideas for it. Okay, that's actually not entirely fair. I'm sure they have a lot of people who have good ideas, but
0: there's no one that's going to get listened to.
1: Yeah, there there is not enough people in the driver's seat who know how to do any of it. And yeah, the the WWE production style is just not doing well. I want them to at the like the first and foremost easiest goddamn thing that they could do to just fix a part of the show is just do more pre-taped sit-down style interviews rather than this backstage bullshit. Because the backstage interviews have always been bad in WWE. They have not been good for at least a decade at this point because they've always been the same and the backstage interviewers are horrible. And I don't blame them because... It's the writing and in, in particular production that they're getting. But I don't think anything summed up how bad the WWE interviewer trope was than at Money in the Bank when Truth is doing his promo that he needs to get his <coughs> 24-7 title back from, oh geez, what name did he say? Tom Brady. Yeah, Tom Brady. And then after he walks away, oh Jesus, I forgot her name. But the interviewer has to, like, turn and look at the camera and goes, you know, he, he means Rob Gronkowski. And it's like, we got it. That was.
0: I, I think it feels like they're trying that felt like they were c- trying to compensate for the lack of audience and no one, no one to go ha 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 to it. But it, it explaining
1: work. the joke is not a substitute for a lack of a laugh track because. That's what the WWE crowd is. And it's kind of the worst part of WWE not having a crowd. WWE's crowd is its laugh track. That's literally its purpose. Because half the time, the only saving grace to some of the moments is the crowd can at least have a bit of a quick, cheap pop. And it makes it, it it, it cushions how Far, some of it just falls flat on its face. Yeah,
0: it's right now wrestling, especially right now, Dodo Yi is those clips of Big Bang Theory without laugh track. Oh God, it really is, especially with the promo style.
1: And oh my God, I I don't like very often pinning down certain things to certain people, but because of the top-down way. WWE works, there are very specific people at the top who have final say on some particular things and have dictated some particular styles that I've been saying it kind of quietly in my head for a really long time, because the, progr- the the promo style has been this way for a long enough time. But, wow, I hope Stephanie stops doing creative at some point. Yeah, the... It's the the very... cadence of the promos and the specific verbiage that has to put in the brand hashtags and, you know, keywords and all of that is signature Stephanie's style. And it, it's been there since like the Hunter Stephanie kind of feuds at some point in like the, the, tail end of the Attitude Era after WCW died.
0: Yeah, like Vince's trademark is ah, I can't even say what his trademark is when it comes like promos and stuff. Vince's trademark is what you can't say. Stephanie's trademark is what you have to say. Yeah, she's very much in, in the idea of branding. Brand names. And that whole uh, intra- in entrepreneur type Branding, branding the brand. It's about the brand. Buzzwords and and you know, like
1: all of the all the superstars having their nicknames, and you've got to say them all of the time. And sometimes in and, and you gotta say them in these really unnatural places, and it's just not how people talk, where you know, you can't just announce a match between Daniel Bryan and Shinsuke Nakamura. It's going to be Daniel Bryan versus the artist Shinsuke Nakamura or whatever they called him. I think it was the artist, something like that. Hmm. And just, you know, like so many of them ended up getting things like that. And then all of the last names that mysteriously fucking disappeared for half the roster that, Oh, okay, fine. Like they, they end up working out most of the time because in the end it's not a massive shift and yeah, after enough repetition, you get used to anything. But there is nothing more jarring than, you, you know, you follow the show every week and Apollo Cruz comes down and then for like a month, he's just Apollo. And just it, it, it's one of the many things that gives that that vibe that WWE, you know, like with the fucking Rob Gronkowski thing of explaining the fucking joke. Where it's just, if you treat your audience like idiots, one of two things happens. And it's kind of almost the same thing because you run off a lot of people. And then really, when you treat your audience like idiots, your audience is going to only be idiots because everybody else is going to just check out and, you know, the inconsistencies and Vince changing his mind every two to three weeks and the stop and start pushes where, oh, this this person's going to get a push. But, you know, he was a, you know, 50-50 booked, so close to Jay brown friggin' guy that after three weeks of wins and, you know, maybe one actually good match, which isn't going to matter because they've also trained their crowd to think that matches don't actually matter. <laughs> You know, work rate barely gets a reaction from a lot of WWE crowds because that's not what they've been conditioned to pop for. That steam blows out after three weeks of, you know, Ricochet getting a a push or Apollo getting a push or whoever. And it's like, well, he's not getting over. Yeah.
0: I think (laughs) I can't put the blame on this as much, but I think a lot of it kind of leading to the whole idea of the gimmick matches, the use of gimmick matches in WWE. Yeah. Like, <sighs> like they, are, they, they are scheduled
1: pops, basically. Yeah, so like, they, they've gotten spaced out to the point where, well, if you didn't like the last two pay-per-views, the one that has the match that everybody's supposed to like is next, so people get to start paying attention. And that's all nice and well and good until you end up, you know, having a Hell in a Cell match that ends with a referee stoppage. Yeah. After Hell in a Cell already had the previous year ending in, I believe, a ref stoppage or some other weird fucking shenanigans. And that's after Hell in a Cell oh, already yeah. has had the, the piss taken out of it from being a pay-per-view rather than a feud ender, which everybody and their mother has been complaining about with WWE ever since they did it.
0: Yeah, like TLC, at least, it feels like, okay, that's a stipulation you can apply to any match, any feud, any point, basically. But, like, <laughs> Tell all has always, always felt like, oh, this is going to be the feud ender, this should be a big deal, should put out all the stops for this, and they don't. Yeah, TLC
1: basically just became their excuse to have two extreme rules a year. That's
0: that was that was
1: like, you know, they ended up when they ended up doing that for a while. But a lot of the gimmick shows, for the most part, are OK. They have managed to escape unscathed. Hell in a Cell needs to die it needs to not be on their calendar anymore. And then there also just needs to be a moratorium on the entire match for like two years and you rehab it. You, you, you just start, you do some cage matches very occasionally. And I'm talking like you do at least you do at most two a year. That's it. And you know, you don't use them for booking trash finishes And then you have one blood feud that can only end in Hell in a Cell because no match type needs to be rehabbed more than that. Yeah. Uh. Then there's only like there's one other pay-per-view they need to rehab. And it's more they need to go back to the drawing board with the concept that they keep using or kill it. Survivor Series needs to stop being this brand
0: bullshit. <laughs> <car> <laughs> the one head of the year where Raw and Smackdown go head to head.
1: after after <laughs> there being the wild card rule like a month before, and then the fucking raw and Smackdown split and draft being just, oh God. like if if you are gonna do the brand bullshit, A, and this goes back to the branding. Don't do the 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 one night a year. First of all, no, it's obviously not because the Royal Rumble and Money in the Bank exist. First of all, second, it's and it's it's the main thing that everybody complains about it because it just it makes no sense how so many people who are feuding or have only been on the brand for friggin' two to four months because of whenever Vince decided to, you know, shake the Etch-A-Sketch. And suddenly they're supposed to get along for the sake of what color t-shirt they're wearing. Yeah,
0: I I gotta say, the last one was the best one in a long while due to the NXT inclusion. Yeah, because,
1: you know, it had a... It it had the first semblance of what it's been missing for basically since they did stomping grounds and whatever the original uh um bragging rights. Uh that was yeah. like the, the original blueprint of what they turned Survivor Series into after Bragging Rights was a thundering turd. Of it it created some stakes. It wasn't yeah. enough and because it didn't work for Raw and SmackDown, but it worked for NXT in that. They were there to, you know, draw the line in the sand, you know, put their flag down and go, no, we're here and we're just as good as everyone else on the roster. And that was the booking of the whole pay-per-view, basically, building to that. And then they and, pissed it away right after.
0: Yeah, I gotta say, they NXT gained a lot of momentum from that, but they didn't really follow up on it. Like, you'd expect, like... Well, they lost all the inner brand matches afterwards,
1: so that didn't help. Well, not all, but a shitload of them.
0: Yeah, but like they at least gained a lot of momentum from that. That you expect that okay, they're gonna build into more NXT main roster matches or something. But no, it led to nothing.
1: Yeah, like it was. It was one of those weird moments of WWE having. Great direction and awful direction at the same time because it was kind of quick, but that was mostly because of the whole Saudi Arabia situation, having them kind of pull the trigger on the NXT invasion angle on SmackDown that worked really well and it ended up being one of the best episodes they did ever. But, you know, despite it building really well and the pay-per-view being really one of the best uh endpoints for that it didn't follow up anywhere on the main roster. And some of the really interesting things they could have done. It, it it seemed like they were setting up for a couple particular things that just didn't happen. In particular, I don't know why they didn't just bring KO back to NXT. It yeah, looked I... so much like they were doing that. And that would have been a decent name to put on there for exposure to the new Wednesday show, and that went nowhere.
0: I like I understand that in a bit that they just wanted him there for the pay per view, and he still owned whatever brand he was on. But like, also they really tried to build like Keith Lee up. They built built him up as <laughs> big was, boy, <laughs> like from the Rumble from Survivor Series era. He should be on the main roster in the main event right now after the Rumble, after Survivor Series, after all of that. But honestly, they mess themselves up
1: repeatedly by having the world title on Bray Wyatt. Because I- so <laughs> many of their various opportunities and so many good matches have just really been kind of killed by it. I Bray's matches are very controversial. They're very hit and miss for a lot of people. They're so dramatic and story heavy. And I I like them, but I don't think they work for two reasons. And the first is just they don't work well to the average WWE viewer. Yeah. It's it's not what they've been conditioned to like to get into. And also it's too slow Hmm. because he's, he's basically the new undertaker in Kane. And I think people are still willing to uh, uh, suspend their disbelief a bit to have a more supernatural character on uh, in wrestling, but I don't think it fits too well in WWE because you don't have these massive pronounced characters anymore like you did in the Attitude era or even in the the uh ruthless aggression era because that was really the actual heyday for the Undertaker, at least to me. Yeah.
0: And uh, go ahead. I Yeah, you're very right, right. Like I, I <laughs> I'm one of the biggest fans of Frey, right? Of Frey in this mm-hmm. fiend character. And like it's not for WWE audiences. It's it. Yeah, it. It's like the double-edged said, sword
1: of being such a standout in WWE. You, he's kind of getting to the point where he just, instead of standing out in
0: WWE, he just doesn't fit in it. Like when you said slow, that that's when it really hit me. Like, oh, he's. Its matches are trying to tell a story, trying to really. Engross the audience, and that's not what WWE matches do. They, they do tell a story, but they don't. They don't tell the story throughout the whole thing. They tell a quick story. They tell. It, they get the audience in, and then they don't go for the long haul story like his matches do. Yeah, his are
1: long stories with spots, and it's the wrong way around. I think because I, I think like Taker matches, Kane matches, and even some of the other strong sort of storytellers in a lot of matches in WWE, they are, you know, competitive sequences broken up with plot beats. The spots aren't, you know, the very brief moments where the match picks up and has some moves. The spots are the moments when there is story happening. And the shorter those or at least the fewer there are the better because best example for me is his match with um braun at money in the bank it's a great idea for a match but too much of it is just dragged down by stuff
0: yeah that one i like the actual when it was actual wrestling but when it got to the actual stuff to the real story, the extra right-in-your-face storytelling, it really kind of bogged down. Like, yeah,
1: like the mask was when Braun pops up at the mask, which also didn't fully make sense to me. I understood what he was going for, but, you know, the idea that Braun would just for basically two minutes or something really long, just, you know... Drag Bray into this like false sense of security or whatever and and play along, it was just too much. It it's the the problem with Bray's matches are that they're getting overindulgent. And I think the Firefly Funhouse match was fantastic. I know a lot of people who didn't like that. And I understand why, especially because it's really hard to get into suspending your disbelief quite that much but i don't particularly mind considering undertaker is still casting fire and lightning so you know th- there is a requisite amount of your brain that has to be turned off for wwe anyway just so that you don't you know y- <laughs> it reminds me of the uh uh this thing that a, a old family friend of, of ours had he had it, it was called the bad call brick because, you know, it's the brick that you want to throw at your TV anytime a referee makes a bad call on a player or whatever. But it's foam, so you don't break your TV. Wrestling fans need those when they watch WWE. <laughs> like, it's, it's the bad finish brick.
0: Yeah. Uh, this is one last thing to, before we try to wrap up the WWE talk. <laughs> uh, the Edge Orton greatest wrestling match ever. Oh, my
1: God. God, what are they doing? I don't... Like, okay. There are so many things that happen in WWE that it's like, I understand what you're going for, but you're not going to hit it. Uh, The the Survivor Series matches are actually one of the best examples because I understand what they're going for, but the combination of Vince changing his mind constantly, the booking being so short-term, nothing gets built towards a certain pay-per-view until it's the next one. So it's always like a three, four-week build, and everything has so much constant whiplash that there's... Even when the stakes are relatively low, they could still work if they didn't feel like so many characters have to swerve to suddenly make sense to be motivated by that. And it's so weird how, you know, getting into basically where we're probably going to end up going next... AEW is really good at understanding just simple motivations. You have the the winner's purse. You have, you know, the dynamite diamond ring. You have something just valuable. You have money. Winner gets paid. Yeah. Simple. You know, JR is really good at just at pounding that nugget into people's heads because JR understands something really, really crucial about. The AW audience. Half of this audience is indie as fuck and has been bored at WWE and is not watching. But the other half is people who are moving from WWE currently because it's draining them, but they haven't been at you know the fuck WWE point yet. Yeah. And it's really important to repeat certain things because unlike hammering an idea into your skull for the sake of branding like in WWE's end, because then it's just, it's a hashtag. It's just, oh, I know that name. He knows you have to condition your audience. And in the case of the half that are coming from WWE in the last two, three years of viewership, you need to reprogram them. Yeah. Because bragging rights can be a motivation, and it's actually a really strong motivation in certain parts for AEW, but it's not in WWE. Because those bragging rights don't fucking go anywhere. The 50-50 booking kills it. The short-term memory that Vince has kills it. The constant changes in directions. So nothing feels weighty enough that, you know, two rivals, you know, just sort of going, all right, no, we are going to, you know, draw the line in the sand. This match is going to be what says who is better. And it's Mm. so freaking weird that WWE is trying to do a match like that now, especially as the escalation from a forty-minute just drag-out fight with some of the most horrific spots I've ever seen. And I'm not going to go into the spot.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, that, yeah, uh, yeah, the last man match had a lot of uh, it. It Matt itself wasn't was overdrawn and didn't wasn't good and the cup a couple, uh, certain spot was a bit uh, what's the word I'm looking for distasteful yeah very uncomfortable
1: very distasteful horrible optics horrible timing like the fact that this was I want to say not even two weeks after that dark side of the ring wrapped up yeah th- which just made it so much worse because now it's just fresh like wow you're putting the salt in what everyone reopened no this is bad and you know that match already needed to be cut down for time and then you don't cut that and it's pre-recorded wow that was that that was a massive disaster but then going from that to all right we're gonna have a wrestling match that could work, but it's weird to see that in WWE where ring work so often doesn't matter. And the few times that it has, it's been great. And and it always ends up being like this weird flash in the pan, like John Cena's United States championship open challenge or, uh, Seth Rollins when he was just knocking out every match he did week after week and then had that one where he was in that one match that was like an hour or something like that. Oh, yeah. Those, they're such notable blips in the radar because they manage to be so good that they overcome how much the WWE audience normally doesn't respond that much to work rate because that's really the thrust of it. Because they managed to have someone who is selling the competitive aspect of it. And I feel like that's part of why the greatest match ever is really going to ring hollow for a lot of people just as a build. Because the other half being, it's branded already. It's They've branded the hell out of it from the start and they are setting up the highest expectations that... I can only presume that this is going to end in some very strange angle because no disrespect to either of them, especially edge because edge is a fantastic worker. He's always like enthusiastic and puts a hundred into matches. And, you know, I, again, it's not like disrespect to Orton, but he's not someone who's always on in every match he's in. And, and, given how he's booked, I don't blame him all the time. But they're not the guys that in WWE you could sell me on the greatest match ever and I take it even remotely seriously. Yeah. If AJ or Brian or even Seth or Drew for that matter, you know, any of the the real workers on the shows were involved, then I could take it seriously.
0: Not that seriously, but seriously.
1: Yeah, seriously relative to the rest of WWE programming. Yeah. Actually, I'm even going to say seriously relative to Raw and SmackDown, because even on NXT, that would end up having a different reaction. It would still be ludicrous to call it that. But I think NXT would also, you know, get away with... One of the, you know, like one of the, you know, two characters in the build saying, I don't just want to wrestle you. I don't want to just prove that I'm better than you. I want to have the greatest wrestling match ever. And have that just be a soundbite in a promo rather than the branding they're selling the match on. That seems like what NXT would do. And that's part of why it would probably work in NXT. Uh,
0: I think now is time to talk about AEW. I, I, we, AEW has a lot of thoughts from everybody. And the, I don't really, I'd like it. I think everyone who watches it likes it mostly. The majority of the people who
1: don't like AEW strike me as watching it to gain more reasons to not like it.
0: Mm, Okay. Yeah. Uh, It's,
1: it's the, the, the uh very nitpicky kind of goggles of you know you you can only jump on the bandwagon and parrot people so much when you're ragging on something you don't watch
0: yeah uh i i have like i said like it but i have a lot of mixed opinions on it like i it's kind of the standard of what people are saying like the women's division being a bit lackluster with how they're doing it uh that's mostly the main one honestly
1: yeah i i think the the real thing that's kind of hurt them is just the lack of presence on the card and some of it's been it's like a combination of out of their control and also just not the best planning where you know like one of the best examples was Riho is an inaugural champion, not being there a lot because she was also wrestling elsewhere and, you know, had just massive, you know, scheduling issues. And I think I understand what they were sort of going for in terms of, uh, kind of like what I mentioned with JR of reprogramming the audience and setting the expectations Because their women's division is more, uh, it's a mixture of styles, but it's still more pure wrestling and really trying to move away from the caddy drama that WWE has. Because their women's division still has that. They just, you know, aren't fighting over, well, also having horrible matches, but, you know, fighting over because someone decided to piss the other one off because they sprayed
0: hairspray in their eyes. Yeah, Uh, something—I feel like this would be a better excuse early on, but I think them not having, like, a real standout star in their women's division also is a bit of a factor in them not having the division as propped up as their other divisions.
1: Yeah, I think—I think part of the problem with that is— It's the same problem that they're having in a lot of their divisions with really the exception of the tag division, actually, in that they're they're having some issues elevating talent that aren't like notable before AEW or Mm -hmm. more particularly, they're having trouble elevating non WWE talent. And that's a combination of, of factors. And some of it is just the wrestling crowd on tv right now especially you know basic cable people just tuning in on something and i think they were in a position that they were going to start kind of transitioning away from leaning a lot on some of the wwe mainstays that they had and then they lost the crowds yeah and i think the problem at this point is they're in a holding pattern they're trying not to push too many of, like, the younger talent to have that moment. Like, Drew having his, you know, his coronation moment at WrestleMania in front of no fans. I think they're trying to save some of the talent that they want to elevate. I do not like this kid who's outside my window. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, I think they're trying to save elevating some of the talent who just, like, have major upside for when there's the crowd because a, the crowd reaction is going to sell that moment to more of the viewers. And they're going to seem like even bigger stars because that's how private party got over like first night. They have this amazing performance against the young bucks in an upset win, but the crowd sold it more than anything. They, they looked like they stole you know, they, they, they quite literally stole the show and just ran off with it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I... Hmm. Like, the, the situation definitely affected how they're pushing. Like, from... Like, I don't think Brody would be pushed as quickly into the main event picture if it wasn't for this. Like, he's he's good, he's great, but right now his character is just there as opposed to as developed as it should be when he's going after the title.
1: Yeah, I think it's also like and this is this is sort of the, the thing that is really interesting to me. WWE is so business as usual with everything down to the cadence of promos while AEW is leaning into so many things, including things that they really wouldn't be able to do if they were so heavily in front of crowds doing all sorts of weird shit using the stadiums in both segments and matches. And Brody Lee's a really interesting case because he's a heel who can work really well without a crowd as opposed to MJF. MJF needs a crowd. Yeah. That is his element. That is his gimmick. And he can still be an absolutely detestable heel with no crowd, but I think he needs a crowd more than a Brody Lee would, especially because Brody Lee can really he he's like the heel equivalent of Matt Hardy in a lot of ways of he can do a lot of things and a lot of segments that build his character and don't require an audience to to really get things across. But then the other half of that is without with with the lack of a crowd, especially the very indie-rific crowds that AEW manages to get who know a lot of these, you know, uh, talents that aren't really known to a lot of people who say only watch on TV. The, The lack of a crowd means you almost lean more into the WWE talent because it's going to have a stronger viewership. And they're still trying to, you know, keep a lot of the fresh talent in people's minds, keep them visible, especially the tag division. Uh, Darby Allen and Jungle Boy are just always highlights. But, you know, like I said before, I feel like they're they're keeping them at a boil. <laughs> but, you know, they don't want to let that, you know, they, they don't really want to pull the trigger on them without the crowds because the WWE guys are able to stick with the television audience better than than these people and that's that's the corner that i think that they've just sort of been backed into because viewership really does help them keep the lights on right now but that ends up also circling back to being i think one of the weaknesses of the women's division i think they could still you know build it more have them have a better presence on the card but i think the lack of a really notable, familiar figure, the way that there are so many ex-WWE guys in, you know, the, the the men's singles division. I think that's one of the things that's kind of made it struggle more because there's less elements for a lot of the viewership to kind of latch onto with that familiarity because I think that's one of the things that has... Been what they're attempting as a balancing act because AEW really does have two audiences that they're trying to serve, and the women's division really can only serve the the you know more non WWE viewing audience. Yeah,
0: like I like, I feel, and another thought that is uh, like I feel like a lot of complaints people have about AEW falls a bit. On the fact that they give their talent a lot of freedom, yeah. Like, um, who's I don't remember who podcast heard it. Maybe I think Jericho's podcast had Darby Allen on and talked about mm-hmm. how he AEW didn't ask him to do those like videos of him like burning the inner circle or all that. He just made them and sent them in, and they aired them. They just. And how they just, a lot of time, they don't script out the promos like WWE, they just tell them, go out there, you say what you want to say, then yeah. It can be very
1: sink or swim or feast or famine with that, but I think it still ends up being largely in AEW's favor because an interesting failure is better than a formulaic one because everything that flops in WWE flops the same way you've seen almost everything else with the exception of like really notable botches, because it's just, they're so in their style and everything on the show is that same style, that same format, same formula that when something is not good, not only is it, not good in the same way you've seen before, it may end up being not good in the same way you've seen in two other segments that night. Mm-hmm. And for all of the stuff that AEW tries, even when it doesn't work, most of the time I think it still ends up being the kind of interesting that works well in you know, 2019, 2020 because one of the most notable, just utter clunkers was the Nightmare Collective and the
0: uh, reveal of, what was it, Luther? Deathmatch death legend and friend of Chris Jericho, Luther. I, it was such
1: a, such a, a just, you, you know, you could hear a pin drop at certain points with that crowd and it just died of death. But it's the kind of thing that, it failed for a really good reason, because it, it, it failed for, like, the farthest opposite of why a lot of things fail in WWE, because a lot of stuff fails in WWE because they're treating their viewers like idiots, and that segment failed because AEW is treating their viewers like geniuses. <laughs> like, you know, all of these different segments of independent wrestling and these, these you know, niche you know superstars within their corner but you have to know that corner and there you know there's been a couple reveals that are kind of like that but that's really the best example of it and it's not the worst way for something to go over badly because one of the things that they still ended up getting out of that was engagement when wwe sucks and you know things end up trending and all of that you know Stephanie McMahon is going to be one of those people with the, there's, you know, no such thing as bad publicity. It's all just publicity. But no, when you're, when you're trending because people want to fucking cancel the network after you have utterly screwed the pooch on the Hell in a Cell uh, 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 stipulation or things like that, that's not good engagement. And there is a difference, you know? That's the kind of engagement that Twitter and platform holders are going to like because it's just shitloads of users and activity. But when you're the person who owns that content, that isn't what you want. AEW, though, when a lot of their segments go over kind of badly, one of the things that they end up getting out of it a lot of the time, and the Luther reveal was one of them, it still ended up having curiosity. You know, you have people going, okay, who the fuck is this? I'm supposed to know who this is, who is it? Or just different people who pop up and they're like, Okay, this person's new. Are they only here for a week? Why are they here? You know, like and uh Excalibur's really good at dropping hints of the history and what people might know them for and all of that, but it, you know, he he's also sort of one of the lead ones of, hey, it's the guy. You should know the guy. It's it's the (laughs) butcher, the blade, the bunny who you saw last
0: week with a totally different name. Yeah. I was about to bring bring that up as yeah. He's learned from that at least.
1: Yeah. And and that's the other thing that I think ends up kind of working in AEW's favor in that you know it's it's the thing that works in their favor for a lot of things and that they just they have a lot of audience goodwill and they're not doing things to deliberately swerve and piss off the fucking crowd as WWE is wont to do but also just tangible places where they messed up and then changed you know things with the announcing things with the fucking tag matches in the first couple of weeks Wrong person tagged in, wrong person gets pinned. Yeah. That that turnaround time is notable. And it's especially notable in the memory of a lot of people who have looked for WWE alternatives before. Because that willingness to experiment, but also to change in light of what doesn't work, or to just kill what doesn't work,
0: yeah.
1: is very... It's in a stark contrast to TNA. Especially, you know, 2006
0: to 2011 TNA. Yeah. The, yeah 2010-2011 uh, TNA is a very good example of them thinking the fans don't know what the fans want. Which is a very WWE mindset.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a weird thing to see when you're in professional wrestling like you are in one of the few forms of any kind of media that has instantaneous feedback and is very much the crowd is telling you what they want yeah and Sometimes what they're telling you is in code because when for like five years, they're telling you they want CM Punk, they're really just saying we don't want what you're giving
0: right now. Yeah. uh uh Talk about the, how some of the downsides, the uh, down points of with AEW. Now let's talk about one of the highlights of AEW. And probably their biggest potential star, Hangman Page. Oh my God, I'm
1: so glad that he's like been on the upswing ever since, like yeah. the whole, you know, Elite Friction tease and the the <laughs> the drunk in public, as I refer to it, <laughs> uh, storyline, like the the problem with hangman page at the very start was he was a very kind of bland baby face he wasn't lacking in upside or things to get people into matches because he was a great worker and he you know had an energy and an aura to him but you didn't really know who he was what he was about and why he to really root for him especially after the first uh uh all out match I think it was that he had. It was either all in or yeah. all out. One of the two had like a really good promo package setting him up and then it sort of
0: Yeah it, they it, He wasn't he wasn't I can't say it was a bad choice having lose to Jericho, but it they very much it didn't help his momentum say so at least.
1: Yeah. I, I do think that where he ended up and even possibly, you know, just using certain things as catalysts but where he ended up in the tag storylines and all of that was great and of course you know aw is really good at just humor that either doesn't overstay its welcome or doesn't it, it, it doesn't have the moment of just like are you laughing yet <clears throat> Where, you know, like they they take his drink and then, you know, in the last shot, he just pulls a pitcher out of nowhere and starts drinking. Like that, that's the kind of really fast moment that is a great punchline, especially it being the end of the segment that you just know if WWE had that same idea, it would have already been overplayed in that one segment and the very next week. Whoever would have had that storyline is going to be just like falling over drunk in all their matches and on a losing streak.
0: Yeah, like it's they AEW and the town hasn't good has be hasn't good to be subtle and not be over the top with stuff like that. Yeah. To be to take it slow and not just go rush through a story in in weeks when it could when it a long term story. Yeah, it it's. The
1: kind of patience that doesn't just reward viewers, but it really ends up rewarding them as well because they don't... It's not just not burning out the audience, but you don't burn out your material. WWE has blown feuds in three weeks that should have just taken three months. Not even for it to breathe, but because they literally wasted match opportunities because they just are constantly going at 200 miles an hour. Oh, uh, t-
0: t- t- just on that topic, uh, NXT, <laughs> I had, uh, Matt Riddle and Tim D Thatcher, who are the, who were defending the tag titles since Pete Dunn is out of country and cannot come back right now. I uh, had a match where they defended tag titles and lost due to Tap Thatcher turning on Riddle. Later that night, there was a Riddle-Thatcher match, and now, this upcoming week, there's going to be a Riddle-Thatcher cage match. It's very accelerated. I'm, I understand that they I, I understand that they're trying to, they're just trying to grasp something to build to week after week after week in these circumstances, but also, it's so fast, so quick. Nothing, ac- nothing's actual built. Actually built. It's just just putting something up yeah. and saying it's built.
1: It's very. It, it it's one of those main roster tendencies that have slowly, uh, seeped into NXT ever since it was on USA because of you know main roster influences. But you know it it's it came off as you know naturally a part of the the issues with the talent and travel and all the different things that are there. And it's like, they had to do something, but I think they would have been better off with uh riddle and Thatcher successfully defending, having maybe a non-title match first of them, like getting into the swing of things and then a successful defense and having them kind of click, but then having just one little seed of something my, my personal like way that I would have done it is have just like one of those comments from an interviewer that goes just subtly sour, but Thatcher doesn't react. It's there, but you don't telegraph the heel turn. You just, you telegraph the, Hey, you're doing pretty well for a hodgepodge team. And then talk to just the person who's the official team member and not the other guy who's the temp. And have him turn at the pay-per-view. I I'm always a little fishy on pay-per-view turns and things like that, but the you know, the the pacing at least would have been a little better to stretch that out and not have that turn happen so fast. And then already you're going into this program and a cage match already that's just you know, it it, it it comes off the way a lot of main roster stuff does. Of oh shit, we have a pay per view. Oh shit, my assignment's late. It's like oh, it's like oh, I gotta hand that in tomorrow. Fuck.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I would say AEW is had also has that a little had that happen a little bit, but it's more the circumstances for them than than the build up being a problem.
1: Yeah, they're they're really good at builds. It's just, you know, schedules and things like that are really hitting them hard in a lot of ways. And the, the other problem with some of the stop and start is it's one of the downsides to uh, their taping schedule where, you know, you have five weeks in the can and then suddenly somebody can't come up for the next taping. You know, you can't, if it was WWE and they're only going to miss that week, then they're just not on the show that week and you can still keep it going on the back burner. AEW, well, shit, now they're gone for five weeks. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's frankly a better problem to have because their taping schedule and the way they're doing things is really the best case scenario outside of, yeah, we don't run shows during the pandemic, but, you know, at least they're you know giving people time to quarantine and then still go home and relax and you know be with their families and shit like that. The mm. WWE roster is absolutely
0: fucked. Yeah, like even, even though they seem to mostly be using like the Florida-based talent, mostly. But even then, it's still a lot like...
1: Eh. the fact that they are operating in Florida. And having weekly either live shows or tapings, depending on the direction the wind decided to blow on Vince McMahon, the fact that they're not testing is just mind-boggling. Yeah, yeah. I... Like when Dana White is doing something right, and you're not, you fucked up. At least they're not going. To, at least they're not going to Wrestle Island. <laughs> Ugh. I mean, the the. I'm not gonna go into that.
0: <laughs> <sighs> I'm I, politics. I'm. I, this is out of the wrestling wheelhouse now, but I'm still like in shock about Fight Island being real and happening.
1: I I hate that I was one of the people who had the passing thought of like, how the fuck would you <laughs> even do? How, like, how would you manage to do this? And I'm like, are you, like, are you going to host it on a reservation? And then that's basically literally what happened. You know, it's on, like, some indigenous land somewhere that's basically, you know, not under typical governance. And I'm like, this, this sounds like, it's like a combination of, of, a uh, uh, oh, shit, I forgot his name. Oh, Wow. Oh, action movie star! He has a cop show now. Uh, ugh, I feel like I should know. Under Siege. What's his name? Fucking shit. Uh, Seagal. Yeah, that's it. It sounds like a Steven Seagal movie. Yes, it. it it's it's a it's, it's <laughs> Steven Seagal was one of the fucking characters in Mortal Kombat, That is the UFC right now.
0: God, it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's if Stone Cold Steve Austin was in Street Fighter. You mean the condemned, the condemned? <laughs> Literally. Yeah.
1: It, it it is the weirdest thing, and it's it's just where, where where the absurdity of everything going on with this is just no one. Paul Verhoeven is sitting back, going, "I wish I thought of this twenty years ago." <laughs> this this is the kind of batshit fucking demolition man dystopia that people would have never believed. All right. The world's going to get shut down by a global virus. But even though sports stop running, professional wrestling still does. And one of the people who's going to help open businesses and sports up will be Vince McMahon. Oh, I think this is the plot of the crush hour. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god, god. <laughs> you know the worst part is what them all being in vehicles would obey social distancing rules <laughs> like oh shit we are this close to actually having crush hour irl
0: oh, <laughs> oh well, no it's been, this party has been good it's all gone wrong <laughs> We 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 scouted how society is going to end and reform under the rule of WWE. Uh, Mad Max uh, any, Five Crush Hour. Any any last thoughts, wrestling or otherwise? Um.
1: Besides, uh support your local indie talent any way that you can. In particular, you know, buy a T-shirt and you know anything like that because. They're the ones who are most fucked in this situation right now because indies can't run shit. Um and uh uh yeah, write or call or email or otherwise bombard
0: your representatives and tell them to keep shit closed. Oh, and I didn't even bring up dark side of the ring stuff. I, we're not we're not talking about it now because this is gone far enough and but there's after watching the uh, a win episode, it's a big uh, uh, i a big, i haven't uh, watched
1: I haven't watched it yet i I was not like i I was not mentally prepared for that this week i I was just like i, I gotta <laughs> I, I, I gotta, I fits, gotta yeah. wait
0: <laughs> like this after the snook episode, you think okay, WWE sucks and it's terrible and Vince is terrible. And then the Owen episode happens and and then it gets reaffirmed times 100, basically. So much
1: of what's gone on in the last four months have pretty much made every single element of like every movie that people ever called unrealistic just be like, oh no, people really are that stupid and or evil. And just hands down the most... Carmine Falcone, Batman mobster villain in existence is Vince McMahon.
0: What do you mean? What do you mean he covered up a murder? What do you mean he attempted to pay off the family? What do you mean he was criminally negligent to his talent being, being killed in an accident? What do you mean?
1: Criminally negligent to his talent could pretty much be Vince's actual middle name.
0: Starts with a K, Vince. Criminally, Vincent.
1: criminally with a K. <laughs> yes. Just, just go King
0: Carol with it. <laughs> uh, thank you for being here, Wedge. <laughs> this has been Wheeler Podcast. Uh, go to the Patreon. Go to the Twitter. Go to the places. Go to come to Discord if you want. Uh, this has been Wheeler Podcast. Thanks, everybody. Peace.